Hey there, Shopamaniacs. You are listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Malthusius, King of the Shadow Dom Rupert. Forged in the fires of Gook, carrying the sword of piercing. And with <laughs> me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm just a regular, I'm just a regular light dom. I ran out of, I ran out of creative credits. <laughs> I saw my brain just gave up, kind of yeah. stalled out, buffered. Yep. Dave, that's rapid aging does to you, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's, it's how I feel. So. Uh, well, well, buckle, buckle, buckle your metaphorical seatbelts, people, or your, or your non-metaphorical seatbelts. If you're driving an, an actual car, saving lives here. We're going to end up talking about all kinds of web component E and tangentially related stuff because we have a special guest on today, Elliot Marquez. What's up, Elliot? Thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is our third or fourth attempt here. So we got it. We got it. We locked it in. So. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can blame an actual squirrel last weekend. It was a here in here in Bend, Oregon, 18,000 customers without power. And the, and the, and the follow up was like, we think it. We think it was, it was a squirrel. I think a squirrel did it. <laughs> That's great. Call a free day off from work. And I was like, did you see a smoking squirrel or not? How do you maybe think it's a squirrel? You know, like there was a power problem and then you fixed it. What did you fix? Was it a wire that had squirrel bite marks in it? Like, I don't, like, it seems weird to be like, don't, how do you not know what fixed it when there's a big power outage like that? I think they maybe just don't want to tell us, you know, maybe it's a little, but anyway, I didn't have power, right? Was we were about to record last time. So Elliot was very generous and allowed us to, to reschedule. Sometimes guests are like, sure, power outage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He just, you know, whatever. And then they're just like, how about never? No worries. I was at my parents' house. I was running off of mom Wi-Fi. So it worked out for the better today. Oh, Nice. Yeah, mom, mom Wi-Fi is great because it's just mysteriously doesn't work throughout the whole house. It's just, you know, you get. I swear it was fine until I was chatting with Dave. It just it just cuts out, you know, like when it, you just least need it. Horrible. This is this one's going to be amazing, though. Elliot, you're at Google right now, right? You that's your that's who that's that's the job. Yeah. Uh, so I am Elliot. I've been on the lit team and the material web team since the material one days and the polymer days uh lots of uh lots of weird google org chart stuff going on there yeah you can talk about the whole <laughs> the whole oh wow it's been a the okay whole journey yeah yeah whole journey indeed yeah it's uh it's been fun it's been a lot of lots of uh fun things getting the uh, getting the browser up to snuff to like you know yeah get web components out to everyone and also working on design systems is uh that's just uh you know, next circle of hell, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, design systems just really make you care about things that no one else really cares about, you know? <laughs> well, we've talked about this trajectory and you especially have, Dave, because because Polymer has a has a, a sordid history, you know, and, and it can occasionally be blamed for like maybe people are less excited about web components because that was so kind of confusing back then, despite being technologically interesting and and whatnot people are like what what do i i need this to use web components anyway like i don't we don't need to hash out that whole story but the story is a lot happier lately it's kind of cool that you're still there and get to kind of r roll in a, a kind of a happier era for web components well uh actually i i think it is actually kind of interesting to jump in on that a bit uh because we made a lot of mistakes back in the polymer days uh for one polymer actually co-launched with material design back in, I think it was IO 2014. 
And there was a time where nobody knew what polymer was or what material design was, the same thing. And then we started working with the web components polyfill. And then polyfill are like, polyfill, is that polymer related? It's like, no, it's not. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, things that we did as a very, very young team. Uh, it was kind of fun, though, because we did work kind of as a startup within Google in many ways. Uh, since we were uh, under the Chrome org, the goal of the Polymer team was to bring front-end developers, not C++ browser developers, to help shape the web and test out the uh, web component specs and prove them out. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> uh, we did make a lot of mistakes back then. Uh, we probably... You probably heard the term use the platform used quite facetiously over the last several years on Twitter. But uh, what are you going to do? Uh, oh, Stephen confused by that one because it sounds good, doesn't it? But they then they people, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily speaking positively when they say that. I'm like, well, thanks, I will use the platform. That's my plan. So it's like, use the escalator. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm going to use the escalator, guys. Okay. Yeah. No. Honestly, I think we, we tried to turn Polymer into a product. Uh, we tried to ship 1.0 before the specs were ready. Uh, mm. So Polymer 1.0 actually shipped with uh, a polyfill, like the Web Components V0 polyfill. So the one that not all the browsers were ready uh, right. on. Uh, and then the Polymer 1 to Polymer 2 migration was uh, a bit hectic when we changed Polymer to follow standards. Uh, it was uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> was it conceptually two things? It was, a po it was like, okay, the Web components are coming to the platform, but they're not quite ready yet. So this thing exists to allow you to do that now. And even when that happens, this does extra bonus stuff that makes them better. So it's like, right, like an API is to help you, I don't know, utilize them in a better way. So I feel like those are two things that, yeah, are, are weird to smash together. Or? Actually, Polymer was uh, quite actually it's supposed to be what it was supposed to look like uh yeah polymer had view like uh bindings in the templates uh you had template tags html imports and the idea was uh that eventually we would get template binding uh a la polymer uh into the browser and so theoretically it was what we thought web components would look like uh nowadays uh with lit after we've learned a lot more and the standards are in uh, we've moved towards something that just makes it really easy to write web components uh, these days. Yeah, right. Yeah. So lit. Yeah. That okay. And can you tell like the same kind of story for lit? Like it it kind of turned into that, or was it totally green field? Or uh, so lit is basically Polymer four. Uh, mm -hmm. We have changed our tune a bit uh, because uh, it's quite a big migration if you change from Polymer three to Polymer four. Uh, mostly in terms of behaviors, there's no two-way data binding and stuff of the sort. But uh, lit, uh, but we've changed our tack there. Yeah, lit these days is very, 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 very easy to upgrade from one version to another. We are very incremental. Uh, we try to not change too many things to make sure that we adhere to the platform and stuff like that. Like we just uh, released lit 3.0, and most of the changes were dropping IE and getting ready for. Uh, for all sorts of stuff like uh, template uh, uh, template parts and stuff of the sort. 
Um, okay. Okay. That's some pretty, that's like in the weeds with web components a little bit. So let, let's say I'm, I'm like, oh, I love web components. You know, I listen to shop talk show. Dave tells me they're, they're the best. They're particularly good for design systems. They're good for little isolated bits of uh, componentry. I can even make one and ship it to NPM if I want other people to use it. There's kind of like this little checklist of reasons why they're, why they're kind of cool. Um, Maybe we could you maybe you could help me expand that list a little bit and then say like let's say I I I drink that Kool Aid I'm in why would I pick lit then like can you can you sales pitch me I think that might be interesting on a podcast like you've been living this for a while your sales pitch better be pretty good I'm saying <laughs> I I would like to also say I get asked this probably daily it's just like you know it's people like oh I want to learn about web components but I don't want to use lit so I'm going to learn vanilla and I'm just like. No. So I don't know. I'd love to. Yeah. Like why, what's a web components do and why lit? That would be good to know. So uh, back in 19, back in the 1990s, the web shipped with a component system and it's called an HTML element. Uh, and you know, Ooh, so web spicy. <laughs> well, uh, web, web components are really just the component system that the C++ uh, developers at the browsers have been using uh, and just opening it up for everybody. They've already been using things like Shadow DOM. So if you use, if you look at an input and go into Chrome DevTools and turn on user agent Shadow DOM, you can see like an input has like all these things inside of it and uh, actual Shadow DOM to it. So really it was a lot of the browser engineers opening up the tools that they already use just to developers. Uh Um, And so, uh, yeah, so web components are the browser's native component model. And because of the way how standards work, uh, everything has to be backwards compatible and things of the sort. And when they made web components, it integrates where kind of no other framework or library does. It integrates at the HTML level. Like, you don't have to uh, create a bunch of divs. It, like... Or, or, you know, you have to, uh, you have to integrate at like, you know, uh, some sort of old frameworks rendering level. It actually mm-hmm. integrates at the HTML level. You upgrade HTML elements, and it is uh, when you actually look into how everything works, it's actually quite beautiful how they fit in an entire kind of new paradigm of development into the existing web. Uh, but yeah, that's more about the history. Uh, web components today, uh, I'm just going to say are awesome. <laughs> I'm a little biased here. But uh, they have... Uh, so uh, there are a lot of competing things today, and they're really great. Uh, but sometimes you want something to work across all the things. And sometimes you don't, right? And so there are two use cases. The ones where you want things to work across all things that's where web components really, really shine because uh, it's useful for a big company that is like, I am a company that is large and acquires a bunch of small startups over time and they all have different frameworks and you want to just create a mm. simple design that works across all of them or just shared components across them. So you're not even talking about just browsers. Yes, it works across all browsers and it works across all frameworks. Yeah, and it works across all frameworks because what do all frameworks do? They render HTML. What is where does where do web components integrate at the HTML level? Mm. Um, and uh, the way Shadow DOM works uh, and uh, with encapsulation, uh, it just helps make sure that that doesn't try to interfere with anything. Uh, 
we can talk about that a bit later because it does interfere in some ways, especially on the server. That does seem like a pretty obvious, like just to bring it to the humble button, which is a classic design system kind of thing. I know we haven't really gotten to design systems yet, but you could do it once with a web component. And despite you being at this enterprise company that's telling you that this has got to work across three, four different frameworks, boy, you did it. You made one. And it works like that's the, like as as far as the sales pitch is, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we've worked with uh, teams like the Web Components Everywhere uh, team. Uh, there's a website up called Web Components Everywhere. Uh, don't remember the exact URL, but it's basically that. I don't remember if it has hyphens. Uh, and it really goes into how uh, each framework interacts with Web Components. Basically, can it set attributes, can it set hyphenated attributes, can it accept something with an unknown tag name? And things mm. of the sort. And uh, every modern framework these days basically supports it. Uh, there are some uh, parts of React that are missing it that are available in, uh, I think, React 19 is currently slated. Who knows? Uh, if, uh, if you still need to use React before that, we have packages to help solve that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so integrating with frameworks is one big thing. But uh, I said there's two big sections. You need to support lots of frameworks. And the other one is the user that doesn't. The user that doesn't, what they benefit from web components are easy debugability, easy to get started without build uh, build pipelines or anything of the sort, and uh, just the simplicity that comes with using a browser primitive. Like, no one's making a big deal about using arrays, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. web components are, I see them as arrays, uh, and uh, when I try to evangelize about them, it's kind of like, how do you make like, how do you make an array sound sexy to people, you know? But yeah, so uh, the simplicity of web components is that you can write one, a vanilla one, uh, on your own super quickly. Uh, or you can use a, a library like Lit. And Lit, we really love web standards. So things of that sort, uh, you can just import it with a, an like a ESM.run link or a JS liver and then just build with it immediately. Oh, um, gosh. Did you say ESM.run? I just came up. Literally this morning, I was looking at it. It looks like JS delivers version of like a pull something off NPM, but have it be ESM ready. It reminds me a lot of uh, Skypack. Uh, you know, it does the bundling and stuff of the yeah, sort. And, uh, right. and Skypack was great, but they've they've publicly said we're done kind of. Yeah, and, yeah. And ESM.sh is also very cool, um, but I think it's kind of an independent project. I've been using that for a bunch. But uh, but yeah, ESM.run is just JS Delivers, who's kind of, I don't know, maybe a bigger name. You know, they've been at the CDN hosted NPM package thing for a hot minute. So that's cool. Yeah, and you, the, this the conversation just started saying that, yes, I, you could make one with Lit or any or whatever, but you probably do want to use some kind of framework, right? We should talk about that. And then uh, and then p put it on there. And then if I want to use your emoji picker or whatever it is, I just can pluck it off and use it. How satisfying. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Um, but uh, yeah, one note on ESM.run is Skypack. I love ESM.run because it's a successor to uh, uh, Skypack, uh, mm -hmm. but it's just missing the Fred in there, you know. Nah, no yeah. Fred. No Fred. Fred is on the polymer team and uh, uh. missing the guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's kind of a direct connection there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was there for a hot minute since you lost it. This has been Fred's long game the whole time is getting people to use elements. Um Yeah, I, well, it's worth noting, I converted my old jQuery library, Fitvids, 
to um, a web component last week. And uh, so you can now use get FitVids, uh, David Trump 5000 slash fit dash vids or whatever from NPM. Uh, please don't use it. But it is, it just saw, it's like, a, you know, I got a bug report for like the old jQuery thing. And I was just like, I don't, I don't, don't use it. You know, like this is like so old and not, you know, like max width, one hundred percent aspect ratio, sixteen by nine, done. You can do it in CSS, and the only reason this needs to exist is in web component form is just purely to like have whatever non sixteen by nine aspect ratios automatically generated. So it's an aspect ratio generator. Oh, because does it pull the width and height off the video tag and promote them to the aspect ratio property? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's it, uh, that's all it does. I've seen dumber. I've well, seen and dumber. it's vanilla, but you know, because it's it's literally like eight hundred bytes, six hundred bytes, or something like that. But oh, you didn't even use lit because that time you, you needed no assistance. <laughs> Zero assistance. I mean, it doesn't even, I, I'm calling super like connected or whatever constructor super, but I don't even think I need that. I think I don't, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> with, I'm just pretend element. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm curious in this progression, like we've talked about like old Palmer HTML imports, rest in peace, um, killed by Mozilla. We'll never forgive. Um, never forget. And then there was, Lit came out, kind of changed the whole idea or just, I guess, how you wrote Polymer components. You now had to write them all in JavaScript, but then it introduced like these, the Lit HTML template tag thing. Um, but like, I guess I know enough about it, but I'd love to hear from your words. Like, why why would I grab Lit? What does it add to web components? Why do I need it? Why can't I just write vanilla web components. Oh, I'm very interested in this because I, I actually don't know. Like I haven't used lit a few times and I always forget like, and why do I am doing this again? Yeah, here we go. Lit. Uh, let's start, let's start with lit, right? Uh, so the progression of web components was, you know, we built Polymer with the web components V0 spec. And then when it, once it became standardized, uh, the standards committees thought uh, we should actually maybe focus on ES modules as the module system rather than HTML imports. Because at that point, you already have CSS import modules, uh, like, you know, we have at import in CSS, you have uh, ES modules, and then now you're introducing another tree of loading things. And it would complicate quite a lot of things and, you know, mess with performance and stuff, all sorts of stuff of the sort. And uh, honestly, I, I, I love HTML imports and I love the idea of them, but I feel like they, there, there were some issues. Every, every time you HTML imported something, it was in the global scope, you know? Uh, like if you had a script and it did window.whatever, it would affect window everywhere. Oof, um, yeah. And there was not a good way to modify it. Uh, but yeah, um, so with HTML imports gone, uh, the lit team had to move away from HTML first authoring for templates towards something that could be used now, uh, which was... JavaScript and luckily in ES, uh, ES 15, we had template literals. And the Lit and the Polymer team uh, at the time, we were still over at Chrome. And uh, we and still are uh, big believers in using the platform, uh, making bundle lists and build lists and whatever development just so much better for everyone because it's a tie that lifts all boats. Uh, Talk about that a bit later. <laughs> I have feelings there, but um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, 
uh, with that, we had to uh, we created lit using literals, uh, template literals, uh, and that was a way to do templating without having a transpile step like uh, for JSX or something of the sort. Uh, we wouldn't be opposed if JSX became like a standard in the browser. Uh, we'd love to work with something like that. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but uh, currently, template literals are pretty good. Um, I'm sorry, Chris. You'll have to remind me about the second question. Whenever people say like, oh, let's put JSX in the browser, I'm like, have you seen HTML tag template literals? Well, yeah, <laughs> just to make sure you have seen that, right? It's back ticks. You put HTML in there. You're 90% there. It's you know? pretty much JSX. It's not, as, uh, it's not as strict, though. You know, I do kind of like how, how, how mean JSX is and how well it works with Prettier, for example. Love Prettier. Uh, okay, but so here... The, tag well, templates well, work with Prettier as well, just so you know. Oh, okay, do very they? well done. Uh, they, they did a lot of good work there. Uh, oh, as long as it's yeah, tagged. Yeah, as long as it's tagged with the, the language. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, all right, so but but I'm writing, you know, my component.js. So I write class my component extends lit element right at the top, first line. The the question was kind of like, why? What what do I get? Why is this better? Because it clearly is. I just like I like to have the checklist in my brain. I like to like be like to to know when I'm going to reach for the tool because because I have the checklist so clearly mapped out yeah. currently web components are quite low level uh they're very imperative and require a lot of boilerplate to get uh some things done such as uh html attribute reflection and turning those into properties it doesn't do that by default but it'll give you like a attribute watcher and stuff like that okay so now i've written angle bracket my dash component uh color equals purple close angle bracket and then end the component so now I, I'm trying to pass information into that web component, and you're saying, oh, there's a bunch of ceremony to get that to do useful stuff. Uh, yeah, th there's, there's quite a bit of ceremony. You have to do uh, the static observed attributes property and say you want to listen to color, and then uh, a, the attribute change callback, and when the attribute that has changed is color, it has a change, set the property, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And lit just makes that super, super easy for you. And uh, a lot of people say... Uh, well, why did they make something so useless that requires so much work and it's imperative and it doesn't work with the server? Um, I think the goal of web components has always to be declarative. It's just a lot, lot easier to build the imperative part first. And uh, standards are a, they're a shark. They keep moving forward. They, uh, they're always living. And uh, I, I can see a future with uh, template parts, template instantiation, uh, declarative shadow DOM, maybe declarative template instantiation, and one day whatever it's going to look like, declarative custom elements. Uh, like I can imagine the future of lit is you write a uh, custom dash element name, and then you just pass it properties, and then using the template instantiation proposal, or the declarative template instantiation, it can actually just interpolate that into your double squiggly brackets into your template and stuff like that. Um, and then hydration would just be grabbing that and, uh, you know, adding your JavaScript to it afterwards. Yeah, lit is there to make it easier to write web components, get around that ceremony. So the first thing on the checklist was attributes, check. But they're better. It's better. It's nice. Static properties equals whatever you'd say the ones that you want to. And then you're kind of like watching them, right? So if they, because that matters in JavaScript, if I change that property, which you could do with any technology, 
I need it to, to, to change. I need it to change from my grid template to my columns template or something. It's going to do something in my component. So you have to be watching for changes on that. Wonderful. Which a framework might do too, right? Like you're using this within view. view the, the value of that attribute might be a variable that changes. Okay, that's the first one. Does it do something for me with CSS? Does a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, so it basically automatically hooks up the constructible style sheets with your shadow root. Uh, so it creates a shadow root for your element. So for people who don't know that, it creates a uh, shadow root is a sub document inside of your application, like a sub document tree. And it can scope uh, query selectors, it can scope CSS uh, rules and uh, all sorts of stuff inside the shadow root. So you have a custom element at the top. Uh, lit will attach shadow root to it. And uh, shadow roots, by default, scope styles. But how do you apply the styles in there? You can do a style tag, or you can do a constructible style sheet. And constructible style sheets are great because uh, you can uh, they integrate quite well with the future import, uh, forget what it's called now, import attributes spec where you can actually import a CSS file directly in your JavaScript and then just... Oh, it, yeah, that would be nice, right? Because it does, it does make me think, okay, oh, I'm just going to use a style tag. That's just so, so dumb. It's so no-brainer easy. But let's say there's 40 of these web components on the page. Doesn't that... I don't know if performance is a huge concern or not, but it does seem like it would have to be parsed 40 times and applied 40 times, whereas a constructible style sheet is kind of sitting in memory already, already ready to use. Fun fact, I, I think I, I looked this up in the uh, Chromium source at one point. Uh, when you put a style tag in a shadow root and you put the exact same style tag with the exact same text in another shadow root, uh, the only thing that happens is that the HTML parser will go and read the text. Uh, and the HTML parser is very, very fast. So it'll read the text of it and then be like, all right, that is a style sheet. And it goes to the next one and it reads the text. It will do the exact same thing as using link rel href. It'll do the exact same cache and pull mm. from that cache and then just, uh, you know, reapply it there. But Wow, uh, clever, clever. So it really doesn't matter that much. Yeah, it doesn't matter too much. Uh, but, you know, uh, littering your place. Uh, the HTML read still is non-zero work. And, you know, we are perfectionists here. We want to <laughs> make sure performance is top-notch here. Yeah, it, it does seem, I mean, as an author, I mean, that's what I want. I'm just one person, so who, who knows? But I, I do kind of want to be like, see that CSS over there? That's the CSS for this web component in a file or something. <laughs> Any yeah, one of these things that's like, just write it right in the, uh, you know, with all the rest of the crap in there. Make a big old tag template literal with 80 lines of CSS. And I'm like, no! Um, it's gross. But, uh, the, 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 the great thing about uh, about adopted style sheets and constructible style sheets is uh, one of the big issues these days uh, with web components where people are like, I just want to use Bootstrap in my web component. Do I have to like really just shove the entire style sheet in there and whatever? Uh, mm. Theoretically, you can have multiple components import the exact same CSS uh, file. And then, you know, you get that cache between each of them, whatever. No double download penalty going on right yeah, yeah. basically uh and you know until we have those uh lit does have a css tag template literal which you can share via the javascript dependency tree um they're quite fast people are always saying don't put your styles in in javascript but uh the in our case they're actually really fast because it's just reading a string and the the 
JavaScript parser is really, really good at just reading strings super quickly. Uh, it doesn't have the same. What does that mean? So if it's a, if it's a tag template literal, can I do the like the dollar sign squiggly thing and then make like color equals color attribute? Like I could do dynamic ish things in that tag well, template literal. Well, uh, because we're a library at Google, we are we have an excellent ISC the uh, the security team uh, that makes sure that. Uh, we don't do that. <laughs> we, oh. you, can, you can do that. So you, 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 can, you can interpolate static other CSS backtick things into it. Uh, but for security reasons, uh, it's that. We do have an unsafe CSS directive that you can just write whatever you want in there. Oh. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you, can't, you can do that. Uh, we don't necessarily recommend doing that. We recommend, uh, like if you want to share a variable across things, we don't necessarily recommend doing that. We recommend using CSS custom properties because... Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's like still interpolating that is some JavaScript going on, and you have custom properties you basically get for free. So another so micro optimization. If I was going to uh, set a primary color for a web component, color equals purple, I could at the I don't know in the constructor or something ultimately do like whatever it is this dot shadow root dot document dot style dot set attribute or like some incantation that sets that custom property at the shadow root level so it can use that color purple in the CSS via the custom property. Well, the good thing about custom properties is that they can actually cascade through the shadow root. Uh, wow, so, right. I don't even have to uh, bother setting it at the shadow root. Just set, just set it on the element itself. Yeah, or the root of the page, whatever, whatever you want. Uh, what the... Uh, like what we've done with the Material Web Library, which we just released, uh, it integrates Material 3, or is colloquially known as Material U. Uh, so it has the dynamic color system and all that amazing stuff. Mm. And uh, the way we implement Material's token system is via CSS custom properties. So you have all these buttons, all these uh, whatever on a page. You can just set M dash dash MD dash sys dash primary dash color. Oh, color dash primary. Sorry. It's not like yeah. I work on the team or anything. <laughs> and you yeah. set that to red or something like that, then it'll sure. change the primary color and everything to red. Um, it's actually really great. Uh, you get into a really nice flow of using the material CSS custom properties and just like building your app with it. I do wish there were a bit more, but... You know, That's like, nice. It, 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 I mean, it's CSS custom properties can penetrate the Shadow DOM. And that's just because just because of that, that makes them really a pretty nice pairing with web components and Shadow DOM, right? Yeah, uh, very few things can penetrate the Shadow DOM. It's mostly inherited inherited values like CSS properties. Yeah, like your font family uh, or whatever still yeah. comes through, right? Yeah, font family and things of the sort like that. Um, because if you could do it to an input, you can do it to a web component mostly. Wow, yeah, right on. Or just don't use Shadow DOM, right? Can you just... <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Is that... <laughs> how would you... How do you do that in Lit? Does it... Do you have to tell... Is it... It's kind of Shadow DOM by default and then you turn it off or what? How do you... What's yeah, it's the... Shadow DOM by default. You can override the... Uh, there's a callback. Uh, ooh, I kind of awkward that I can't remember the callback on top of my name. But instead of, uh, you know, attaching to Shadow, you just return this, which is the element itself. And it'll just attach things to the thing. But in that case, we don't know what to do with the styles, so you have to handle styles yourself. However, you're going to do that, or or just like use a global style sheet, like right? That would be the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but like uh, again, one of the beauties, uh, one of the beauties of Shadow Roots and Shadow DOM is that it is a way you can actually package styles 
with a component uh, that works cross-platform. Um, because uh, right now, you kind of have to just, like, how do you package styles with a component these days? Every framework has, like, its own weird way to do it. But this is uh, a standard way to just, you know, do it together and package it. Does Does Tailwind present any challenges here? Because it's, you know, utility libraries has been huge stuff for the last, I don't know, five eight years like in so people who are using tailwind and web components what are they doing are they just generating a css file per component are they just importing all whatever every gig of of tailwind or are they like what are they doing uh to make that work you know in a utility library world because i use utilities but not like a bunch not to the extent of like a tailwind but like how would how would you do something like that? Uh, I, I'm going to be a bit honest here. I, uh, I I've been really darn into the material world right now, so yeah. I, I I love Tailwind like what it's been doing. But I just I'm a bit ignorant on 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 some of its things, but I do know uh, utility libraries in general, like Bootstrap and Tailwind. Uh, well, they don't necessarily Bootstrap, but you know, yeah. Uh, well, like Bootstrap has things, material. Uh, yeah, it has utilities too. Like yeah, there a lot of them are written in a global sense uh where they don't really the 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 styles are not really written in a modular manner but uh users have found ways especially with import attributes these days uh to uh share these uh, a lot a lot of times i understand like people just uh import the style sheet from all sorts of things using import attributes uh or some uh build time transform to turn it into a css uh back to literal mm-hmm. um and uh, there is a wonderful community. There is a wonderful community member called uh, his name's James Garbett, and he has an art. He just released an article very recently on uh, using uh, web components, slit and tailwind. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that's really all I, all I can speak to. I, I've I've really been heads down in material work recently. Well, that that's probably a good segue. Like material is a design system, Google's design system. Uh, built entirely with web components. And one thing I hear about web components when I talk about them is people go, yeah, they're great for that, but not for design systems. I work on serious stuff or whatever, you know. How, how, what is the experience of building a big design system that serves a lot of products like YouTube level crud here we're, we're not not mm-hmm. baby products or whatever. Like how does that work with web components like, I, I'm curious, like, you know, how do you do composition? How do you do shared state? How do you, you know, is Shadow Dom a problem? <laughs> like, because I could is see Shadow it Dom being... a problem more at nine. Uh, <laughs> is, Shadow, is Shadow Dom influencing your children more at nine? <laughs> it's starting to feel less and less cool, but I, it might be just in the in the air. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully Shadow Dom feels less cool, and hopefully it's just a boring thing that everyone uses, like an array. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've been maintaining some sort of official material design implementation, all from Material 1, 2, and now 3. Um, and back in the Material 1 days, it was the polymer paper elements, uh, the first implementation, actually, because, again, this, the silly co-launch that we did. Um, and, uh, I've actually supported YouTube themselves using those components. Um, and, uh, YouTube's still written in Polymer. They should, they should, they should update. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and yeah, they have some apps written in, but 
we've learned a lot through the time, uh, <laughs> but uh, we've learned a lot recently on how web components are actually a really, really good tool for design systems, uh, specifically because of maybe how Google works. Uh, Google is a big mono repo. So if you make a change to the repo, you have to fix everybody's tests. So when you're a core system like uh, the lit team or the paper elements team back in the Polymer 1 days, uh, you make a change to a component and it affects literally thousands of engineers. Uh, you have to fix all their tests and things of the sort. And back then, we relied a lot on uh, the add apply. Uh, we used to use CSS mixins uh, back in the day, uh, where anybody could just apply a mixin at runtime and just change any node in the Shadow DOM however they wanted to. Uh, and uh, we used to do all sorts of slotting because uh, Shadow DOM has slots, so users could put arbitrary HTML in there. And uh, what we've learned is uh, being very, very open like that is uh, quite difficult for a case like uh, Google, uh, where, you, where if you make a change, like uh, one of my things was, you know how a material input has like that line at the bottom. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Some people tried to hide the line with opacity zero, some display none, some of them did border height or border width zero. So if you need to change the color or change that from a border to a background color, uh, then you start running into all sorts of things of because Googlers are very clever people. They do the most weird random shit. Pardon, <laughs> pardon my French. But uh, um, and so uh, that is a way how you can use web components in maybe the bad way for this type of stuff. But uh, we've been able to pare things down and have very defined ways with uh, Shadow DOM to create a proper CSS API. Uh, so, you know, you have JavaScript classes, they have like functions and methods and uh, properties and stuff like that. You have an API for that class. So you have an endpoint. An endpoint has like a fetch API, parameters, whatever. And it's kind of weird that CSS does, like, doesn't really have one of these days. Uh, but web, uh, Shadow DOM provides something like that with CSS custom properties as a very surgical way to go in and change something. Uh, you can do host styles, like style the actual element itself. And it, you can only style the things that are exposed to the colon host selector. Uh, you can do things like inheritance uh, using like CSS, the inherit value. And uh, there are bigger cudgels like CSS shadow parts, uh, which we restrict within Google. Uh, and uh, what other stuff? Uh, oh, you can also subclass the element and actually just inject your own styles, which again, we restrict at Google. But, you know, uh, external uh, uh, GitHub, none of this stuff is a mono repo. Those restrictions don't necessarily need to apply to users. Does subclass mean, like, I don't know, material design exposes some input element. I'll extend that and, 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 and change it. So I'm not changing the, like, the ridge. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Uh, so the way we structure our components is we write all of our logic in, in certain classes. And then we have another file that uh, marries these class with the styles with, and then does the uh, the custom elements.define call. So theoretically, uh, users outside of Google, because we restrict this internally, users outside of Google can just import the class, the underlying class, and change the styles. 
But yeah, that makes sense for us. I get why you restrict it, though, because you're like, what's a design system if anybody can just override anything? And not just that. It's uh, what, what I'm trying to get at is that it's very important for uh, maintainability and for uh, making mm. sure you have a very clear, defined API where people can use and then externally allow an escape hatch. Uh, externally, we say subclassing and doing all that stuff. We may break you, uh, use it as an escape escape hatch. But if you're using that, then you should probably file a bug on us. It's probably something that we should expose to you. Um, but internally, uh, you can have very measured approaches on how to upgrade an element or how to change something because you have a very defined API for CSS uh, slotting and all that stuff. And uh, design systems as web components are actually really, really useful in this case uh, because... Uh, we have other team, uh, and there's another sister and material team that does uh, our internal framework called Wiz, uh, which mm. is, uh, you know, it does a traditional manner of you write a template, it creates a component, and you have to follow these rules to stay like within these scope styles. And they, they're having quite a lot of issues with users still styling things globally and things of the sort. And it really makes their work uh, grind down to a bit of a slog. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, so if you're external, you can just basically do whatever you want. Uh, we may break you, but you should really file bugs on us. Uh, but if you stay within the thing, uh, if you stay within our API that we've defined, then you can rest assured we have thought we have migrated people making changes to that API. So if you stay on that and there's a breaking change in the future, that breaking change is going to be pretty well thought out on our end because we don't want to write a lot of code for. <laughs> migrating people at Google. That's cool. So so it's like, if I'm thinking of it right, it's like class MDS material design system button, MDS button extends base button or something like that. And then I can come by and say class Dave button extends MDS button, or I can just extend base button myself and make my own abomination. Yeah. 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 Very um, cool. Yeah. Uh, we do work quite a lot uh, another reason why we want to keep our DOM scoped is we work quite, quite hard to make sure accessibility is up to Google standards. Uh, we have Google accessibility uh, rating internally and, you know, berated. We, we, we meet with, we periodically meet with material design accessibility engineers who do uh, uh, audits of our code and make sure it's up to, uh, up to screen reader potential and uh, high contrast mode and all, all those sorts, sorts of stuff. Cool. I'm curious about that. Um, what about like state, right? Like there's no Redux in web components and there's or there's local component state, just variables that get updated. But like, what is, how do you do, how does Google do, I guess, like a Reduxy global state sort of things? Well, uh, in particular with our components, uh, they are all basically leaf nodes. Uh, so they don't actually have uh, much state associated with them. Uh, they, they really much follow the uh, props down, events up uh, situation mm -hmm. uh, where it's it, it, you just follow standard what normal elements on the page like an input does. You'll be generally fine because everyone's built for an input before. Internally at Google, everyone uses all sorts of things of whatever they want. Uh, people that build with web components, they either use something like Mob, uh, MobX or Redux or things of the sort. Um, and if you are a Angular or Wiz user, you know, you use your respective state management libraries and then just integrate with web components as if they are just elements. Um, yeah, as, as 
Lit does have some state solutions. Like we have a, an official uh, Redux implementation. Uh, wait, is it Redux? Sorry, no. Uh, we have an official context implementation, which, you know, is for good for very, very basic state. Uh, but web components and most Lit components are just a TypeScript file, a general TypeScript library. Uh, you can integrate usually whatever state you want. Uh, we've recently promoted um, our signals library, which uses Preact signals. Uh, it's more of just a uh, reference implementation. Theoretically, you can write it with any sort of uh, signals library you want. Um, Got to hop on the signals train, though. You know, <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, I, mean, I know Angular's on it. Whatever, I'm not trying to. You double your funding if you have signals. It's easier. Yeah. So. A lot of the times, I, uh, we just have to be able to show that it's possible with Lit, and you know, people can create yeah. their own integrations. Uh, Signals are pretty cool. I don't know if they're ne completely necessary for lit lit uh, because lit is very, very fast on its own and signals provide maybe just a marginal increase in performance. But uh, uh, but like, you know, like people have infrastructure that have signals. It would be good to, you know, make sure our enable our users to integrate with something like that. And that's, uh, I think, what's interesting about web components. Is they have like this idea of like, you know, attribute changed, right? That's baked into the system. I, and so if if I just update the attribute on the component, it will trigger its own uh, re-whatever, force update or whatever you want to call it. It'll trigger its own update. And that's um, pretty interesting. I, I, like, I, you get that for free, kind of, you know? Um, well, Attribute change just really calls the attribute change callback. And then it's up to you to create whatever, do whatever you want with that. You can do something that just directly modifies the DOM, or you can create a lifecycle that, such as how lit has done it. Yeah. And that I would use lit because lit's render method is convenient. Yeah. All right. So there's a render method as part of lit elements that returns a tagged template literal. And that way, if data changes, I don't know, you're not on your own to re-render, right? That that's the point of the render method, right? Is that right? Like that you get that. I'm like, obviously you want to re-render this thing, right? The data changed. We got you. Yeah. Uh, so if you call the tag template literal with the exact same values in lit, it will just basically be a no-op. Uh, mm -hmm. The tag template literal, again, isn't a string in lit. Uh, it creates an object. Uh, in, lit in the lit3 presentation that we just gave about a week ago, uh, maybe several weeks when this episode comes out, uh, we actually have, we're talking about our lit compiler. Uh, and so the lit compiler is an optional compiler that just pre-does that initial work for you in the template. Uh, when you first run a lit template, it returns an object that is just uh, data of metadata of like where the bindings are. Mm. And uh, the compiler will just go through your TypeScript source and just do that initial step for you. And so a little 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 faster when you when you ship yeah, it. Uh, well, we've received some numbers in our benchmarks, like up to like 40 percent uh, increases on very large templates. Oh, nice. Um, that's what makes this like kind of surgically faster, right? Maybe with your own web component, if you had some data change, you'd just be like, I just need to change the the entire chunk of HTML because I don't, I don't have any smarter way to do that. Yeah, there are multiple ways and multiple things to this. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it keeps track of exactly where things are, are uh, in the template and updates those uh, kind of surgically. Uh, but the other thing is that each web component in your each lit component has its completely own lifecycle separate from each other. So if you update this element, 
and it doesn't affect any of its children elements, like doesn't change any of their properties, only that element will update, like that like a template will update. Um, it's already distributed uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So when you cool. come to signals, uh, again, signals are like, you know, point based changes. And already our templates, uh, our templates, you know, they update the template itself, uh, which is a bit more than that. Uh, but, you know, again, our signals implementation also can do the point change update if you want that as well. So it, it, if like whatever, I have whatever my, my card and inside my card is my button and I change an attribute or something that changes my card, only my card will re-render my button. It stays the same or. As long as you didn't like bind something to my button that will cause my button to re-render but yeah so it does a donut like donut rendering that's incredible yeah i feel like that's a very like people like i'm like oh lit html is pretty good (laughs) you know it's jsx in the browser already but like i think that this is like an undermarketed undersold feature of lit is like it actually does this atomic updating and that's been since polymer had that too but like Mm -hmm. like it does this atomic updating really really efficiently like, that was the first thing. And remember old school React when React first came out, I was like, yeah, it's got the shadow DOM and it only updates the tiniest little piece of DOM that needs to be updated. And everybody was like, yeah, that's so cool. And it is it is kind of cool. I know that story has changed over time, but but that's what Lit's doing here. Only it's even better at it because of the... I think you meant to say the virtual DOM, not the shadow uh, DOM. Yeah, virtual DOM. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. They did not. Yeah, they don't mess with the, with the shadow DOM, the VDOM. But it's just, it's, I don't know, that's like a pretty incredible, like, just whatever. You get into it, like rendering the whole tree, doing the whole tree is expensive, doing just part of the tree is fast. So In the virtual DOM world, there's been a lot of actually good work uh, to kind of get to a lit-like state. Uh, like Million.js, I believe, uh, works in kind of the same way, where it tries to just find the points where uh, things are changed. Um, and kind of, I think it kind of does signals in a way, or I think it's mm. more lit. Like, uh, I, I won't talk yeah. more about that. <laughs> I should just spew rumors at. <laughs> I never quite understood how, I don't know, like, isn't there a point at which your application couldn't use that? And, but you might think about it a little too much, you know, like what if, what if a little bit of extra HTML gets re-rendered? Is that like the world's biggest problem in web development? You know, like not really. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, as framework and library authors, we really want to make sure that we don't give you a foot gun. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of stuff on lit. I mean, do you want to talk about material design too? I do. Have, you know, the the biggest question on my mind is like, so you work on both. Is material design? I think Dave said earlier, like, is it's straight up built from web components? I didn't even really know that. Like. Is that so? Yeah. So, material design again is a design system. Uh, in terms of like a bunch of designers thought of how it could look. And uh, the material organization, we have several implementations. We have like a, the uh, a Android version. We have an iOS version. Um, and uh, so we moved from. So after we got a lot of the standards done, uh, we wanted to move away from uh, Chrome into being. Uh, more of a product itself so helping helping uh, unify material designs web approach and uh so uh the implementation that we just released is the uh we just 1.0 it is our web components implementation of material design three 
And uh, we had a, a Material Design 2 version, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, Material 3 came out kind of late. There was a lot caught up in the in the reorg. But uh, Material Design uh, 3.1 is built with web components. And uh, it's great. Everyone should check it out. They're form-associated. They are very accessible, probably the most accessible menus that you can find. What does form-associated mean? I can use your input element in a form and it will like behave like a native input will behave? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, there are many approaches to building like an input or a button. It's like, you know, you got to use a, the input or the button inside your shadow DOM. Uh, but the form does not go into your shadow DOM. Uh, there were hacks that you can do before, but what we do now is using form-associated custom elements, which is a uh, recent standard on associating and telling the form that this my-input is an, an input. input. It is a form mm-hmm. control. Um and uh, there's lots of cool stuff. It's quite bleeding edge. And sometimes uh, it's called bleeding edge because you bleed sometimes. But, you know, got to make sure we get we get all that stuff out of the way. That seems pretty huge, though. Yeah, that seemed like because you're like, oh, what could I use web components for? Oh, how about I make all our form stuff that way? That makes it really nice to do styled forms. And then you're like, oh, just kidding. Those don't participate on forms. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> there, there are still some problems. Uh, currently, uh like, like password managers can't reach into Shadow DOM. Uh, I've been working uh, a bit with, I got to actually get back to them, uh, with like the one password team to see if we can create a, uh, you know, community standard for uh, password managers to integrate with web components. I don't want to, it started to dwell on that, but that seems like a big deal. If I make my password form a material input, all the pass one password won't work on it. Yeah, unfortunately, not not yet. Uh, okay. I, I have, have been working with one password, uh, trying to see if I can reach out. If, oh, if, you're in a password. If you run a password manager, <laughs> reach out to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Lit.dev/discord. There are uh, that, that is some issues. Like you can do uh, light DOM passing through uh, text fields, oh, but uh, or okay. inputs. Uh, that should just work. But uh, currently, uh, we think this is the best approach to building the component for my tech, uh, for material text field. So uh, we're just gonna we're gonna work and just try to make the standards and the community and you know, the greater web better instead of just, you know, going back to fallbacks. Um, but yeah, you know, material components are great. They have SSR, uh, basic SSR functionality and stuff. And oh. uh, they're fun. Lots of fun. <laughs> yeah, right on. And can can I piecemeal them too? It looks like they're on NPM, right? So you just pluck it off and they tree shake and do whatever you want. They're on NPM. They'll tree shake. Uh, we also have like this big old import that's just all .js. So if you're, that's really good for ESM.run because ESM.run will uh, bundle it in the cloud uh, and before it serves it to you, um, which is not necessarily good for individ- using ESM.run for individual components uh, because they may bundle multiple versions of the same web component, which hmm. is another issue in itself. But I don't know how much time we got for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, so, but you've. There's a lot of Shadow Dom help here. A lot of Shadow Dom going on. It sounds like you're a fan. I, I do. What I like about it is that it is 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 unique entirely to web components. Your access to it and your ability to use it, which is no framework will ever be able to do that. You know, React can't ship their version of the Shadow Dom. That's not a thing. It's, it needs to be a web platform feature. So that's pretty cool to have access to it. And yet, does you know does present a number of weird problems you know the forms thing and the css thing and the you know never been the biggest fan of the the styling story because of how 
tricky it is to it's just it's just anything but as simple as just applying some css to the page you just like anyway this issues you know i've seen more and more people just be like but you can use web components and just not use shadow dom like that it's totally an option you could just light down the whole thing and you still get some of the cool stuff i can still put them on npm and have people pluck them off and use them they might even like it more because of how easier they are to style i can still you know put the, only the javascript that that component cares about within that component you, you still buy a lot with light dom I don't mean mean to, I don't know, do anything too spicy here, but is there a world of just like a light dom just like getting really cool and people just being like, you know what, <laughs> forget all this shadow now. I'm going to use everything about web components except for that. Well, light dom already gets cool, isn't it? Like, you know, you have all sorts of frameworks built, building exclusively with light dom. Like, uh, I, I think it's already great. Uh, I think the best part here is to actually improve shadow dom. And like, you know, like right now it's very good to get, declared a shadow dom you can you can sfr it and everything nowadays but like you know standards are not static they're always evolving and uh that means web components will always continue to evolve but the way standards evolve is that they evolve slowly uh very meticulously and in a backwards compatible fashion mm -hmm. so you write a web component today is that be what you meant by the tide lifts all boats things is 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 the is the is the standard the tide yeah yeah, yeah. like uh html uh, template tags were created for web components and it's just the fastest way to uh to clone dom out there like oh every framework uses it these days um and uh yeah, yeah and uh, uh html imports were tossed out mostly for uh for uh uh, ES imports. Uh, I, I won't necessarily say ES imports were directly for for web components, but you know our team. Uh, we were one of the earliest adopters of uh, native ESM, and uh, a lot of our community has built a lot of build tools that are based off of ESM and uh, testing libraries and stuff like that. And those ideas have proliferated throughout the JavaScript and web community. You know, so it's like, uh, and uh, you know, there's uh, the entire thing uh, with DHH talking about. Uh, buildless development, and no matter how you feel about <laughs> DHH, his 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 uh, the idea is like maybe maybe that's not for you, but making buildless development better uh, makes it such that you get things like uh, uh, Vite or ES builds or things that start using native ES module imports and stuff like that, just to make mm. those tools even better themselves. It's like you work uh, web components. I feel kind of like are the NASA of the web. You know, we we made memory foam. <laughs> That's it because we, you did just ship a, a compiler for lit too, which is a build thing. But are the ones that you grab from MPM or whatever are they pre-built? You know, like you don't actually have to run that compiler because they're already have been compiled. Yeah, like uh, all of our components for the material library are built with TypeScript because uh, Google requires new uh, JavaScript <laughs> to be written in TypeScript. Uh, but like we compiled oh, that out to JavaScript. Google wide. That's that a is, Google maxim yeah, from the top. Oh my gosh. Sundar. Sundar. Uh, yeah. He's a big old TS fan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we build them out to JavaScript before we go. Uh, we don't minify them. Uh, we don't think minifying before you publish is a good idea. Uh, and then we send that out to everybody. And if you're using buildless development, you could just import them using import mod. Oh, import maps or something whatever you want to do sure so you're but if the compiler is then there for the ones that you write 
if you write a... Uh, so the lit compiler is something meant to be used uh, as an optional step. It's not required or anything. Uh, it's just if you want free performance uh, at the expense of maybe larger uh, binary bundle size. Uh, but it's there for uh, optional use at the application level. Uh, and uh, you don't need it. <laughs> Don't, rec don't recommend <laughs> you you compile your components before you send them out. But uh, oh, okay, because when you start compiling things before you publish them, if you run into bugs, debugging becomes a lot harder. And web components are uniquely good at being debugged uh, because they are actual elements in your inspector, and you could just dollar sign zero property value. Unlike a yeah, oh, that's a good point to end on. Perhaps uniquely good debugging at being debugged yeah, we uh we have a lot of jokes where it's like uh the web components dev tools are just called dev tools uh, but there are actually web components dev tools lots of wonderful community members out there and same thing with like the mdx for web components which is just md yeah, that's my uh that's my favorite i have a blog post written about that and it's just markdown you just put markdown on the page and it works so well, that's very cool. Uh, I feel like we've learned a lot and you've, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of web component work. I've done a lot of design system work, but I've never combined the two like in a big, you know, but uh, I'm feeling more, I know like y'all are doing it. I know Brad Frost has kind of bought in on it. Uh, I've, I'm feeling more bullish on the idea that it's possible, you know, like without whatever, losing my hair and gaining a 50 years. Uh, but like, I think that's uh, very cool to see how, you know, I don't know, just how a big company like Google would do it, you know, at scale. So I think I learned a lot. Um, so I guess we'll have to wrap it up here. But for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? <laughs> uh, I'm Techie Tacos on Twitter. Uh, I suggest you go to lit.dev, learn more about lit. And uh, we have uh, material-web.dev if you want to learn more about the Material Web Library. Nice. Uh, that website is still a bit under development, so check the GitHub as well. <laughs> nice. And then there's also, yeah, the Discord's pretty uh, happening too, so it's a, it's a good little place to be. So. Lit.dev slash Discord. There you go. Alright, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this new podcast. Your church will be sure to our favorite of that. will be fun about the show. Follow us on Mastodon this week, and then um, <laughs> Twitter is still grounded. And then uh, join us for the real party, uh, patreon.com slash shop talk show for the d -d 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 discord chris you got anything else you like to say oh shoptalkshow.com 